Exodus chapter 14 this morning, uh, but uh, we're going to start out in Hebrews chapter 11. We have been talking about uh, people who God enlarged their coast uh, through difficulties, and he did so because they had faith and they trusted him and obeyed him. Uh, so we've been working our way through Hebrews chapter 11. It is called the Hall of Faith. Uh, we have a, a bunch of people listed here who did a great work for God. But the next by faith that we are going to see this morning is not an individual, but it's a group of people. It's a group of around 2 million people, the Israelites who had left Egypt. And they are all in this verse listed as a hero of faith. Now what's referred to specifically in our text is the crossing of the Red Sea. And there are times that God leads his people into situations that are absolutely impossible by human means to deliver us from. And we're going to see one of those today. We come to the Red Sea miracle. It is one of the biggest miracles in the nation of Israel, uh, the history of the nation of Israel. Uh, the miracle of the Red Sea, it, it's interesting if you look at placement in the Bible, it falls in, this, in the place of the Old Testament where the resurrection falls in the place of the New Testament. Both of them are a great testament to the power of God. The skeptics, of course, will take a different view. Uh, the skeptics may reject the miraculous because ultimately they reject God. And so they have all sorts of explanations on how Moses got the Israelites across the sea. I heard a story of a young boy uh, that went to Sunday school, and after he got home, he, uh, his mother asked him, what did you learn in Sunday school? And he says, well, Mom, the teacher told us how the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. And she says, oh, well, that's interesting. Well, what happened? He said, when they got to the Red Sea, they had a bunch of engineers build a giant pontoon bridge that went all the way across the Red Sea. The Israelites crossed over, and after they got over to the other side, they walkie-talkied into radio headquarters, and they asked for reinforcements. Then the uh, planes came, and the bombers blew up the bridge, and the Israelites were saved, and the Egyptians died. Mom said, Joey, now is that what the teacher really said happened? And he said, Mom, if I told you what the teacher really said, you'd never believe me. And uh, we, we choose to believe the Bible as it's written, amen, and as it's given. Let's read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29. The Bible says, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying to do, were drowned, or trying to do, were drowned. This morning, I want to preach to you for a few minutes on stop praying and start walking. Stop praying and start walking. Father, I pray you bless us this morning. Help us to see something that would apply to our hearts and our lives. And help us to respond in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at today a very rare occurrence in Scripture. In fact, it's one of the only places in the Bible that I know of where God tells somebody to stop praying. That's not a, something you see very often because uh, we, you know as I, I preach all the time the importance of prayer. I have said and I still believe that the most powerful yet most unused weapon in, this, in the Christian's arsenal is prayer. Prayer is incredibly important. Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, that men ought always to pray 
uh, the early church, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, were continually, devote, continually devoting themselves to prayer. Paul said in Romans 12, 12, that we should be instant in prayer. Uh, he said in Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, he tells us to pray without ceasing. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I exhort therefore that prayers and exhortations and intercessions uh, be and the giving of thanks be made for all men. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, he says, I will therefore that men everywhere ought to pray. In uh, James uh, 5, verse 16, James said, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Hey, prayer is important. I would never tell anyone to stop praying. However, if God in heaven says to someone, hey, 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 stop praying. We better take note of that, shouldn't we? We better see what was going on there. Uh, when you were, uh, when, when God tells you to do that, when you're told to stop praying, obviously you are not doing something that you ought to be doing. If you're told to stop praying, obviously God's wanting to substitute something in place of your prayer because we know how important prayer is. So, uh, if you'll do me a favor, if you'll stick around for a few minutes, we're going to answer that question uh, when we get to it. But I'd like to start back in Exodus chapter 14 and verse number 1, and we'll set up the story and set up the uh, what's going on here, and then we'll uh, address that uh, point in when God said to stop praying. In Exodus chapter 14, the Bible says in verse number 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baalzephon, before it shall be encamped by the sea. Now, turn down to verse number 9, if you would. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army, and he overtook them, encamping by the sea beside Pihahiroth before Baal-zephon. <clears throat> and when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out <coughs> unto the Lord. They said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? We see here the perplexity for faith. Uh, the, the Lord told Moses to come and camp before Pihahirath. Now, the crossing of the Red Sea was preceded by some very bizarre events. In fact, I have a map this morning I'd like to show you uh, that they're going to put up on the screen because it seems like God was directly leading Israel into a trap. When the Israel left, and I don't have a pointer, but when Israel left uh, the uh, e Egypt up there on the left upper corner there, Goshen, Egypt there, when they left that area, they were going to come down, and God had told them they had to go out to the wilderness to sacrifice, and their destination was they were going to go to uh, Mount Sinai. You see where Mount Sinai is down here on the end of the orange line. So the obvious direction that they would take is to go the, to leave down through Goshen, go around the Red Sea there, and come down to Mount Sinai. But we see in Exodus chapter 41 that God's GPS basically said, recalculating. I'm going to take you a different route, and I'm not going to take you the route that makes sense, 
this. I want you to do something different. And then he tells him, we read it in verse uh, 2 here of chapter 14, I want you to go down to Pi-Hath-Hira. Now you see where that's sitting. How, what kind of sense does that make? See the orange line that comes down? Make a lot of sense if they would just go around, right, and go straight. But God specifically sends them down to Pi-Hath-Hira. And there they are, stuck. Uh, waiting, and they're up against the sea. It makes no sense because if they were going to go down to, by the way, God said in Exodus 3.12, you're going to worship on this mountain, talking about Sinai, Horeb there. And so they were headed that way. Uh, <coughs> this seems very strange because if they were going to get to Mount Sinai, they would have to go down the east side of the Red Sea. But God says, no, I'm going to send you down the west side of the Red Sea. And they were going down the wrong direction. Let me tell you, friend, though, if you are ever following God's leading, you are never going the wrong direction. It might seem like you are. It might not make any sense to you. But if God is leading you and you're following him, you're going the right way, even though they could not see that. But the will of God is sometimes very confusing to our natural reasoning. Have you ever found yourself in a God-directed situation and uh, it didn't seem to make any sense at all? Has it ever seemed that God is leading you down into what seems like a dead end of your Christian life? Why would God ever lead us into a dead end? He uh, did so for the, for the Israelites. They came down to the Red Sea. Uh, they could not go any further. They were blocked off on all sides. And uh, that was how he led Israel. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, the Bible says, When it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the land of the Philistines, although that was near. In other words, the Bible says, now the route that would have made sense would have been the near route, but God did not lead them that way. He says in verse 18, but God led the people about, or he took them on a detour, or he took them the long way. He took them the scenic route, and they're not going to like the scene that they're going to see here. So he took them around the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. He took them on a roundabout, and they ended up getting stuck. Think about how God led them. The Bible says that in the morning and during the daytime, they would follow a pillar of cloud. At night, they would follow a pillar of fire, and this would lead them in the direction that they needed to go. Imagine how neat that would be. Imagine a device that would give you step-by-step -step instructions. Tell you where to turn when you needed to turn. Imagine a device you could put in a destination, and it would take over and get you there. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Well, we can imagine that pretty well, can't we? That's what we're, where it was with the Israelites. However, God's GPS took them the wrong way, took them into a place they didn't think they ought to be at. And so here they are stuck up against the Red Sea. And maybe, my friend, that's where you feel you are right now in your Christian life, at a dead end. Oh, you've had many dreams and many plans, but they've turned into nightmares. And you feel delusion. You feel hopeless. And understand this, that God tells us in the Bible very clearly what his plans are for us as Christians. Over in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, the Bible says, And we know that all things, all things, not just the good things, 
All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. And then he tells us why those bad and good things come into our life. He tells us because for whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate that we should be conformed to the image of his son. That's the whole plan right there. Make us into the image of his son. Spiritual growth and spiritual maturity is a process. It takes time. It's not an overnight thing. And sometimes in this process, we experience some delays and what we would say are some dead ends in our Christian life. Yet if you have faith in God, if you believe in him, sometimes these dead ends are by his design. He puts them there for us. A dead end, by the way, is the stage just before deliverance that we saw in Israel's life here. Here are five ways I believe that God uses dead ends in our lives. Number one, dead ends build our faith. They build our faith. The Israelites are at a dead end. The Red Sea is ahead of them. The Egyptian army is behind them. Little did they know, though, that this is exactly where God wanted them. This is right where they were supposed to be. Through this dead end, they would see God do a mighty work. It would be at this dead end that God would teach them to trust Him. In fact, the Bible says in uh, verse 31 of this chapter uh, of Exodus 14, and the Lord saw, or and Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord. Well, yeah, you're going to do that when you see Him deliver you out of that kind of dead end. Hey, friend, instead of getting angry, instead of getting depressed or getting sad, when you feel that you're butting against a dead end, how about looking up? And how about having faith that God can deliver you out of it and teach you something while you're going through it? Sometimes it is darkest before the dawn. Sometimes the dead end comes just before the deliverance. Dead ends help us, number two, overcome our fears. Israel had been freed from slavery, but they are still enslaved by fear. They feared greatly, the Bible said. Uh, at this dead end, the Bible says they were terrified. Verse 10, they were sore afraid. The children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now you can't help being afraid. We're all afraid of some things. But you do not have to give in to that fear. And Israel was still afraid. Uh, we ought not fear what man can do to us when we are obedient to God. God wanted to help these Israelites overcome these fears and he used a dead end to do it. He's going to show them through this problem in their life. Can I tell you today that if we're being obedient to God, if we're in the middle of God's will, we ought to not have any of these irrational fears because the safest place for us to be in in our life is directly smack dab in the middle of God's will. The most secure place on earth, they tell me, is Fort Knox. It houses $137 billion of gold. It has 5,000 tons of precious metals. It has, uh, in, in, at Fort Knox, it uh, has all these things but all behind a big 22-ton door. The combination to that door is dispersed to 10 different people in 10 different parts. To get, uh, to get access, you have to get all 10 people on board. Behind the door of that treasury, they say, is the safest place on earth. It is protected by armed guards, 
by Apache helicopters, missile tanks, surveillance, cameras, concrete, granite walls. But I tell you today, friend, even if you live in the middle of that uh, compound there, it's still safer to be right in the middle of God's will, no matter where that might be. The truth is that fear is not wrong in itself. We have a lot of deer hunters going to work this weekend. I'm planning to go tomorrow. You pray that uh, I'll be able to feed my family. They'll go hungry unless I get something tomorrow. So you just pray that God will come through. But the big majestic buck, you know how he got that way? Because of fear. Uh, that young, cocky, two-button uh, buck that uh, has no fear, he now adorns the bumper of Bubba's truck, you understand? Fear is healthy. It can be healthy. It is not that we ought to have no fear. It is that we ought to fear the right thing. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. We ought to fear God. Fear and faith cannot dwell in the same heart. And so if we trust God, if we fear God, we don't need to fear man or what man can do to me. Fear God and you won't fear your circumstances. Listen, here were the Israelites stuck at a dead end and God's going to help them overcome that fear. Uh, God never promises that the journey would be easy, but he does promise that the destination will be worth it. Amen. And so uh, let's understand that. Number three, dead ends free us from past bondage. Like Israel, our dead ends can terrify us. By the way, who was chasing Israel? Their past oppressors. That's who was chasing us. Sometimes we get so hung up on our past. We fear that we are a product of our past, that we are enslaved uh, to our failures. And we often, our tomorrow is affected by our yesterday. Uh, we listen to the voices of defeat. We believe that we can never change. Oh, sure, we say. We look at other people. God can change them. God can turn their life around, but not mine. I'm too far gone. I've made too many mistakes. I've had too many failures. And then we come to a dead end. And we're just sure there's no way God can get us out of this situation. The truth is that God uses these dead ends sometimes to break us free from the chains of our past. Here were Israel's uh, oppressors chasing them. They're at a dead end. They don't know what's going to happen. But I tell you again that often in our life, a dead end is the stage just before deliverance. That was what was going to happen here to the Israelites. Look at verse number 13 for the Egyptians. Look what God says here. The Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. Hallelujah. What a verse that is right there. Hey, I know it looks like you're at a dead end. I know it looks like there's no hope, but you just trust me. You just have faith in me is what God's saying here. I'll tell you one thing. The ones who oppressed you, they're not going to oppress you anymore. That one that beat you, he will not beat you anymore. That, uh, clut that fear that clutched your throat every day when you got up and you had to face your oppressors and go be a slave and face your tormentors, they'll never torment you anymore again. What a promise to these people. You'll never see see him ever again. That promise is the same for you and me, friend. We can begin again. You are not the product of your past. When you come to Christ, the Bible says old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You don't have to be enslaved 
to your past. We serve a God who is greater than our difficulties. And you know how he'll show you that? Sometimes he'll show it to you with a dead end. It'll seem like an impossible situation. Number four, dead ends lead you to your purpose. Israel's dead end here is God's way of saying, hey, it's done. You are no longer a slave to Egypt. You are my people. Uh, God's dead end that he had for Israel here, or Israel's dead end was God's door to their promise or their purpose. The, their barrier. Now, what we're going to see in a minute what happened, but you know the story with the Red Sea. Their barrier became their bridge on which God took them across to his purpose for their life. Think about that. What they thought was the greatest awful tragedy in their life ended up being the exact way God took them to the promised land. They had to reach their dead end before God could take them on to the promised land. God had to annihilate their past before they could realize their future. Let me tell you, friends, sometimes we are in situations and we better not get angry, we better not get discouraged because God might be on the cusp of doing something great in our life at your dead end. God may be trying to tell you the same thing. Quit living in the past. You've been forgiven. It's done. He separated you from your sins as far as the east is from the west. You're no longer condemned. You're my child. Now live like it. And sometimes it takes these hard situations to bring that clear in our life. Number five, dead ends show us or show those around you God's greatness. When we are at our dead ends and God delivers us, even the skeptics will be moved. Uh, what, a, it, what impossibility is in your life right now? What's in your life that just seems like an impossible barrier that only God can solve and get the glory? Hey, that, God does that work in your life. Not only increase your faith, but it'll help the ones around you. The Bible says in Exodus 14, 4, I will, God's talking, I will be honored upon Pharaoh. He said, look, God says, I'm going to get the glory here. Pharaoh's not getting the glory. I'm getting the glory. And that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, he said. And they did so. Where do you go when you don't know where to go? Your faith has to acknowledge that God's wisdom is so far beyond our wisdom. Even though we cannot see a way out, God's wisdom is greater than ours. If we have faith, and again, faith is belief-inspired obedience. If we believe God and obey Him, that we have the faith that every God-directed confusion in your mind might be wisdom in his mind. Sometimes you have to stop trying to figure it all out because you might be right where God wants you even though you can't see it. Israelites were. Don't get discouraged. God will use your dead end to build your faith. God wants your faith and he wants the glory. Let God get glory from your story. He sure did from the Israelites. That was the perplexity of faith. Then we come to the peril for faith. Israel was trapped at a dead end. Uh, the Ataka mountain range was on their right. The sea was on their left. The mountain heights of Abu Duraj were in front of them, and behind them was the Egyptian army. God's GPS had directed them right into a cul-de-sac. They couldn't go forward. They couldn't go right. They couldn't go left. 
right and left. I do know my one from the other. They couldn't go right. They couldn't go left. They couldn't go back. They couldn't go anywhere. There they were. They were stuck. And they found themselves uh, impossible uh, escape being absolutely impossible. That's why they asked the sarcastic question in verse number 11. Weren't there enough graves in Egypt to bury us? You had to bring us out here? Uh, because the peril was real. The peril was great. And may I say today that faith does not always pick the easy route. God does not always send you down easy streets. Sometimes it's difficult, but it's always for a reason, for a purpose. And we see the plea of faith. Verse 10, the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. This is where you see their faith, calling on to God for help. Not all of their behavior is, you can't brag on all of it, it's not all commendable here, but this is. They cried out unto God for help. When they saw Pharaoh and his army come into view, the Bible says they were sore afraid. They thought they were doomed. So they lifted up their voices and cried in an earnest cry to the Lord. When the circumstances in our lives go sour, when we feel like we're at a dead end, the very best thing you can do is to look up and cry unto the Lord and try to get your direction from Him. God wants to do a work in your life. Now, back to what we were talking about at the very beginning when God told Moses to stop praying. Because there's something that happens here that's almost humorous in verse 14 through 15. I like what Moses is doing here. He is faithfully promoting God. In fact, he stands in front of the Israelites. He says, the Lord will fight for you. Ye shall hold your peace. Here's a man of God. He's standing firm as a rock. He has no doubt that he's showing to the people. He doesn't give an inch. He's basically saying, hey, stop your whining, people. Uh, God's got this. He's going to handle this. He says, who brought you out of Egypt? You didn't bring yourselves out of Egypt. I didn't bring you out of Egypt. God brought you out of Egypt. He knows what he's doing. Let him do his work. Uh, you might not have this figured out. God's got it figured out. We need men like that today. He was standing firm for God. We need men today that will lead people into the will of the Lord. We need men with backbones of steel that, that eat gunpowder for breakfast and then chew on matchsticks, amen, and pour out the truth of God. That's what we need today, just like Moses was. Men who lead others in spite of doubt and in spite of fear. Men like the prophet Nathan. I know he's the king. I'm still going to point at him and say, Thou art the man. Men like Daniel, I know that I'm lion fodder if I pray, but I'm going to do the right thing anyway. And he knelt three times a day and prayed in his house. Men like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who say, I don't care how hot the fire is. I'm going to not bow to that, uh, that image because it's a false god. Men like Peter, I know I didn't take water walking in college. I'm going to step out anyway and walk on that water. Men like uh, Stephen, go ahead and throw your rocks. While they bounce off my body, I'm going to preach the truth anyway. We need men like this world today. Men of that uh, are men of faith. Doubt sees the obstacles. Faith sees the way. Doubt sees the night. Faith sees the day. Doubt dreads to take a ste step. Faith soars high. Doubt asks, who believes? Faith says, I. We need men of faith today, women of faith. But the truth of the matter is, 
that there's a little known secret maybe about great men of God. They doubt too sometimes. They have, they have their moments of weakness. This, this, uh, we can make an assumption. Go, go to verse 14. We can make an assumption here. Moses is talking to the people. The Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And verse 15, <coughs> there's a little time that's passed. And the Lord said to Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Okay, wait a second here. Something's happening here. So Moses is up <coughs> thundering to the people, telling them that God's got this, he's in control. And the next scene you see is God saying, Moses, what you crying for? Why are you crying to me for? So evidently Moses leaves talking to the people, and he comes to God, and he basically says, God, you've got to help me out here. I told the people, you've got it. I told them you're in control, but man, look what's happening here. I don't know what's going to go down. I don't know what to do here. And uh, he said, God, I made some promises to these people. What in the wide world are we going to do? In front of the people, he was solid as a rock, but privately he was wringing his hands. He was drinking Pepto-Bismol. He was stressed out. He was worried about what was going to happen. Verse 15, the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Look, Moses, you told them to have faith. Where's your faith? That's a good question, isn't it? Look, Moses, why are you crying unto me? Here's another way of saying it. Moses, stop praying. Stop crying out to me, Moses. Here's what I would want you to do. Speak to the children of Israel that they go forward. Why would God tell him to stop praying? Listen very carefully. Here's your reason why. He does so when we use prayer as a delay factor for action. When we use prayer to, as an excuse not to do what we're supposed to do. In other words, God's telling Moses, this, there is a time for prayer. Obviously, we know that. This is not the time for prayer. This is the time for action. I've told you what to do. Now do it. Speak to the children of Israel that they go forward. Prayer is important. We know that prayer is important. Let me tell you, folks, prayer is meaningless if we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Prayer should be put into action. Prayer is good, but there comes time when we must act. You know what we do in our Christian life? Here's what we do often. We create for ourselves a spiritual filibuster. You know what a filibuster is? It's when a congressman or a senator uh, trying to keep a bill from passing uh, will take and just talk and talk and talk and talk so that nobody can take action on anything. A great example is a short while ago, uh, Senator Ted Cruz from Texas read the Dr. Seuss's Green Eggs and Ham. Well, he, was, he just kept reading it, and as long as he was talking, nobody could do anything. I'm talking here today, though, about spiritual filibustering. We pray and pray and pray and talk and talk, and we don't ever put it to action. We don't ever do anything for God. Again, not diminishing prayer. But there's a time for prayer, and there's a time for action. A little boy heard his father pray for the hungry, and for the poor, and for the homeless, and for the needy. And after his father was done praying, the little boy thought for a minute and says, Boy, Dad, I sure wish I had your money. And the dad said, What, son, what would you do with my money? He said, I'd answer your prayer. Is it possible we're praying about things today? truth be known that God might be just telling us, hey, stop praying and start walking. There's a time to pray. There's a time to walk. 
there's a time we go forward. It's a good thing to know that you should go to church. Amen? It's a good thing to understand that. Now go forward and do it. It's a good thing to know that we should give faithfully in the offering like we mentioned earlier. We know that we should give our tithe, but let's go forward and actually do it. It's a good thing to know and to pray for the lost souls in our family and our friends and our relatives. It's good to pray for them. Now, go forward and talk to them about it. Do something. Sometimes in the midst of our dead end, the exact thing we need to do is go forward. We just can't seem to figure it out. Don't become stagnant in your Christian life. Don't let fear and indecision creep in uh, to your psyche. And I promise you, if you're standing still at your dead end, you're doing nothing for God, I promise you that's exactly what will come into your life. Fear and indecision. Sometimes we need to go forward. And Here's what God told Moses to tell them to do. Go forward. That's what we need to do as a church together. We don't need to hash out our past and spend a lot of time in regret. We need to go forward. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Uh, the, we, Henry Ford said, if everyone is moving forward, then success takes care of itself. Can I tell you today, friend, that the only safe direction for a Christian is forward and upward. We're like an airplane. A car can go forward and then it can stop. And that's all right. A motorcycle can go forward and then it can stop. And that's all right. An airplane, 3,000 feet up, it can go forward and that's fine, but it can't stop. What happens if an airplane would stop 3,000 feet in the air? It wouldn't stay up very long, would it? That's how the Christian life is like, an airplane. You've got to be moving forward or you're going to drop. You've got to be moving upward. You've got to be moving forward in your Christian life or you're going to become stagnant. You're going to become depressed and discouraged and you're going to allow Satan to gain victory in your life. I'm telling you simply today, stop like Moses, like Moses was told by God. Stop crying and go forward. That's what we need to do. I talk to people many times throughout the week and don't take this at all wrong in any way. I love people and I want to be a help to them, but sometimes that's the answer that they need even though we aren't, isn't always the answer that I give. Stop your belly aching and go forward. By the way, I tell myself that all the time. I have to look at myself in the mirror sometimes. Stop crying and go forward. Go forward. That's all we have, friends. If we dwell on our past, if Israel would have dwelled on who was chasing them, if Israel would have dwelled on the oppressors that were behind them, if Israel would have dwelled on their impossibility, their situation, uh, they were absolutely hopeless. There was no possible way of deliverance. If they'd have dwelled on all that, they'd have never went forward. God says, go forward. By the way, this isn't logical thinking. They aren't sitting around the campfire <coughs> saying, you know what we ought to do is walk through the sea. That's not logical thinking, all right? We don't, we don't come up with that on our own. Can I tell you that the deliverance from your problem is not going to be logical either, maybe? When's the last time God's delivered you miraculously from a dead end? Hey, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? This was a result of a direct command from God Almighty to go forward. We've talked about this before. It's not faith unless it's commanded. All right? Unless there's a divine precedent behind it, then it becomes faith to do it, uh, to obey. 
So he said, go forward. And Hebrews tells us, by faith they passed through the Red Sea. What looked like absolute lunacy was actual divine directive, and they did what God said. In verse 29, the Bible says, the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea. This is in Hebrews 11. And the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand, on, onto their left. Can you imagine that night? Can you imagine? Well, actually, that day or whenever they were passing through, they're walking, and here's a wall of water. You know you'd have touched it. They all touched it. Everybody would want to touch the side of the water as they're walking, right? The wall of water on the right, wall of water on the left. Imagine that. Walking through. It would take a little faith. Who's going to, how long is this going to stay up? They believe God. Walk through on dry land. What will you do because God tells you to do it? What will it take to discourage you? You come up to a dead end. It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to feel there's no deliverance. We need to have faith. This was not just talk on their part. This was walk. They put their faith into action. And that's exactly what God tells us to do sometimes in our Christian life. Stop praying. Start walking. Do what you know you need to do while you pray. Let me ask you today, are you in the midst of a dead end in your life? Maybe you're in a situation you can't quite figure out and you don't know what's next. Can I just encourage you? Yes, keep praying, but keep walking too. Keep doing the right thing. Go forward in your Christian life. Never let yourself become stagnant and sitting still and discouraged. Move forward, just like God told Israel to do in their life. And uh, sometimes it takes exactly that. Stop praying, start walking. Would you bow along?